2: Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior editor Grant Wall, SI.com's Brian Strauss, and SI.com's Leave You Bird. Going full force today ahead of the Women's World Cup final, USA Japan will meet again for the second time. Uh, in a row in, in the World Cup final. They also met in the Olympic final as well. Uh, before we delve into that, though, want to start, guys, with the own goal seen around the world. Uh, perhaps the most brutal way to exit a World Cup semifinal imaginable. England's Laura Bassett, uh, seemingly just trying to clear away and uh, across, uh, hits it into her own goal in the 93rd minute, the last seconds of stoppage time essentially England goes out Japan goes through Uh, my heart sunk and I had no dog in that fight Grant wow
3: (laughs) yeah I mean it's just the most remarkable finish like that that I've ever seen to an important soccer game I mean uh, you know somebody made the comparison to Andres Escobar which I don't really want to go there totally because obviously uh, he ended up not surviving and and that's a completely different story but it, it's something at a world cup that is I, you know England played probably I would say outplayed Japan in this game and and, and we were headed to extra time and and you're uh you I guess you're just reminded that this game can produce so many surprises and positive ones and negative ones and um you know for Laura Bassett to to be the one to uh, to put the ball in her own net that way at the end of the game in injury time of a World Cup semifinal. You just say those words and, and you feel horrible. So um, clearly very difficult for her. But I think a good thing is that she's getting a lot of support, too, from not just her teammates, but from people around the world who never you know knew who Laura Bassett was before this game. Um, and and in, in a way, it's it's not exactly the same circumstances as David Beckham's red card in 98, but I think it's a, a different type of situation with the, the media over there, too, where I don't think she's going to be crucified like Beckham was in 98. I think she's um, going to be supported, and in, in, in a way, that's a good human story, but just a horrible way to go out.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, oh my God, so cruel. I mean, this is... You know, you're looking for American sports comparisons. Maybe this is this is Scott Norwood in the Super Bowl. This is Chris Webber with the timeout. This is Buckner. I mean, this is it was just, God, so brutal. And and just to be that close to to extra time, right? I mean, like you said, England had every chance to win that game. They had three chances before that. That it was almost surprising that they didn't go ahead. Uh, Brian, you're in D.C. where every sports team's motto is "We will break your heart." Uh, where <laughs> I mean what, what what did you think when Well that's, you saw I this? think that's
0: the England national team motto as well. Right? <laughs> yeah. So the, so now we have we have parity in England uh between the men and the women at long last. Um I mean no, I I I can't add to that. I mean, yeah. I mean it was gut wrenching to me to me a, a moment of of sort of a, as a moment of World Cup heartbreak and insanity what it called to mind for me was Zidane's headbutt was a, was a moment where everything exploded and, and, and fell apart and, and sort of everything you thought you knew changed. Um, but obviously Laura Bassett did not you know, lose her cool. She did not, you know, she did not you know, as a result of some sort of character flaw, ruin things for her team. She just you know, hit the ball with the exact wrong square inch of her boot uh, and, and, and put it into her net. Um, it also brought to mind um, when I coached, and and i i i kept i've been thinking about this now for for half a day uh I was coaching 14 year old boys the best defender on my team a kid named kevin scoring an own goal in a in a crucial game of a memorial day tournament and just sobbing just 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 breaking down in tears and and he let the team down and we didn't advance because of it and and the kid was just completely torn apart and I remember being in this position of having to comfort him, of having to say something to him. I was the coach. I didn't know what to do. And all that sort of came out was, look, this is probably going to happen to every defender. You know, I mean, you can't play, you can't play defense in this game and not at some point be facing your own net with a ball you can't control and, and put it in. And uh, I suppose there's something to that. I suppose it happens even at the, even at the highest level of the sport. So it, it brought back that incident as well.
2: Yeah, it just oh my god! Again, just so unfortunate. Just the just the wrong touch off the foot. You know, it's funny too. You seeing all the replays of the ball go off the crossbar and then landing just inside the line. It was like Lampard's, right? But of course, it was. Yeah, of course. But of course, like
0: Lampard. Parity with the men.
2: Yeah, but of course, Lampard's goal didn't count, and, and England goes out on, on that way. And then, uh, and then this for for the England women. Mark Sampson, though, I, I just. Not like i didn't respect him before as a manager, but for people around the world who hadn't really known much about the England national team and and what they did in this tournament to get to the semifinals just his uh, just the way he carried himself after the game, his immediate post game interview on the field his uh, his post game press conference afterward uh, I mean if there's anyone to to tip your hat to uh, he was he was remarkable um, so just
0: he's only thirty two years old I mean he's young enough to 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 have that kind of perspective and maturity and sort of uh, I don't know kind of spine and will and and perspective at at, at for a coach at that age is really impressive.
2: Yeah, um, and and like Grant, like you said, uh, just the the outpouring of support uh, that's happened for Bassett in, in the aftermath. I think that starts with with Sampson's comments immediately. That kind of set the tone, right? I mean, she, you know, it's unfortunate. It sucks. Uh, I think it would have been celebrated around the world if it had happened to John Terry. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, man, uh, Livy, let's let's bring you in on this. Uh, you're you're a a goalkeeper. Could you imagine? Obviously, not in on the World Cup stage. No offense, but could you imagine this happening to to you? Just this this freak kind of a play.
1: Oh, uh, actually, I'm reminded of a, of a similar similar but different sort of play that happened in uh, my my high school game once. Uh, there was a ball in the air. I came out to to claim it. And the defender who was just in front of me thought I was back on my line and he was going to try to head it back to me. And instead he ended up heading it over my head and into the goal. So uh, it was, I mean, if you'd seen that on video, that was a comical own goal, especially since we went on to win that game, like 6-1 or 7-1 or something like that. But uh, that's kind of the the nearest that's happened to me as a player. I mean, as you say, it's just, it's brutal. If you you replay that exact scenario a hundred times, I mean, maybe that, happens again once or twice. It was it it just hit off her so in such a funny way and it it looped into the the very top corner. I mean there's so many things about this that you you just think, why did why does it have to happen this way this particular time? You know, I mean it could have hit off the bar and gone out, could have gone wide. So many things that could have happened. And I hate to be that guy and go there, but I mean do you think the turf had anything to do with it? Especially the way that she slid. It was kind of an awkward slide.
2: It's uh it's it's a question that's got to be asked.
0: Uh, or do you hit it or do you hit it with does she take it with her inside foot? Yeah, you know, which would be sending the ball back toward the corner flag instead. Um yeah, you can I mean, she, you know, Poor Laura Bassett, she may be asking herself these questions for the next 50 years. It's
2: true. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh I look, like England's got one more game against Germany on Saturday. Uh I think a lot of people will hope that, that she scores one into the right net in that game and then can kinda leave Canada with, with her head held high. But man, just just the most brutal, brutal thing uh that could happen to a team uh on that stage that deep into a tournament. Um but that said, Japan is the team that's going on. And once again we get USA Japan in the women's world cup final. Grant, you posted your initial thoughts on uh on Planet Football um last night we're taping this on the thursday before the final uh just you know now we've had a little more time to let it let it sink in what what do you think about this this matchup the usa is, is favored based on how these two teams are entering the tournament uh or entering the final excuse me but but what do you think
3: well i mean like, it's pretty remarkable that the same two teams would face each other in the final of three straight major tournaments now and uh, a couple of things I would say is just because the U.S. won the 2012 Olympic final against Japan after losing the 2011 World Cup final, they're not really on even terms. And even the U.S. players would say this that the World Cup they view as as a bigger deal than the Olympics. Um, and that you know you, you get stars on your jersey for winning the World Cup, you don't for the Olympics. Um, and so there is a, a feeling. Uh, on this U.S. team, of you know, this is coming full circle. This is a way to, um, to kind of you know give a little payback for for what happened in 2011. Now everyone has total respect for this Japanese team. I, I don't know anyone out there who doesn't like the Japanese team and the way they play and and how uh, you know, how they act, you know, personally. Um but you know, this will be a good game from a soccer perspective too. I mean the Japanese are by far the best possession team in this tournament. Uh the US will be favored, especially after the way they played against Germany, just by far their best game of the tournament. But um, you know, that doesn't mean that uh this is a gimme here by you know, by any means. Uh and so I, I think we're gonna look forward to uh to a good game on Sunday. Japan has a lot of ways that they can beat you. Um and and they haven't maybe played to their total potential the last couple of games, um, you know, fairly narrow victories in this tournament, but they're certainly capable of winning the game.
2: I feel like Japan too is is just so much more of of an even keeled team that that the fact that the USA is coming in with all this momentum, I don't think it it phases them all that much. I no. mean the USA was favored in, in the The 2011 final as well uh you know coming in off of a a really strong showing against france um obviously it took a a few things to go japan's way at the end of that game and then obviously penalties the usa was was just an abomination um but it's not it's like baseball right every you're only as good as your next day starting pitcher soccer you're only as next you're only as good as as the next game you you play you kind of have to you know, take the confidence you take from that Germany game into the final, but it's a totally different matchup. Uh, you tactically, the the USA did some different things against Germany. It it worked. Uh, I, I guess against Japan is is it, what kind of changes do you see maybe that they would would have to do to to kind of counteract what Japan might bring to the table?
1: Man, the US really has to hope that Morgan Bryan can play this game. Um, you know, concussion protocols. Really, again, coming under scrutiny for good reason uh, in her little head-to-head clash in the Germany game, and it was the way that she walked off the field. I thought for sure, I mean, you're thinking, "Wow, she, there's no way she can play." And then, of course, she runs right back onto the field. So um, that's that's another another issue. Uh, if she can go in this next game, I think that'll be huge. Since Brian has played. We really have seen a U.S team that can control a midfield a little bit better. She's just she's the kind of the glue in that midfield. She's been that, that person who connects side to side, who connects the midfield to the defense and who can really um, really make things happen from a deeper position. You know, Lauren Holiday likes to play higher up the field. When Brian's on the field, that gives her the freedom to, to go a little bit higher. Carly Boyd obviously likes to play higher up the field. So let them go up the higher up the field, and let Morgan Bryan kind of sit back and play that deep lying midfielder uh, kind of role. And she's done it much better of the three of them. She's played that role the best and has given the team the, the most success defensively. The U.S. has looked phenomenal all tournament. The only mistake Julie Johnson has made is on the you know giving away the penalty against Germany, which she was lucky to stay on the field. That probably should have been a, a straight red for denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity, but. Uh, you know she gets away with it a little bit, and uh, you know, on the balance of how she's played, maybe she she deserves one. but um, you know it's it's gonna be interesting to see Japan can combine and they can play really well as a team. I'm really curious to see if they can do it under some serious pressure in the middle because the teams that they've played, a lot of them just kind of stood there and watched them and said, "Wow, this is really cool. Pass the ball all you want, and then we'll try to get it off you once you get close to our goal." The U.S. showed against Germany that it can press pretty high up the field pretty effectively, so I think that'll be key to neutralizing Japan's uh, possession game. Like Grant said, some of the best possession soccer in the tournament.
2: Yeah, uh, I would would agree with that just based on the sample size that we've seen from them over, over the last few years, let alone just the last few games. Uh, Brian, the USA obviously getting praised for how they played against Germany. Uh, a little bit lucky though, yeah?
0: Uh, yeah, but, you know, you, you make your own luck, and as I've been uh, harping on for the, since the start of this tournament, um, the, the U.S. women hardly ever lose. Uh, they average about one loss a year, uh, which is simply a remarkable statistic in, in any, at any level of competitive sports, um, and, and you need a combination of things to beat them, uh, and one of them is luck, um, and, and Germany didn't have it. Uh, Germany also couldn't match, uh, you know, the, the as Livy you said, the... the 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 range and athleticism that the U.S. had and their ability to harass Germany and press them and 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 force turnovers and cause problems. I mean, how many Germans decided you know maybe it's a good idea if I try to beat Hope Solo from 35 yards? I mean that that was like that was like the German slogan for the game. Um, so the U.S. women are very very hard to beat. U.S. women should be favored in every single game they play. Uh, and 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 you know they may not beat Japan, but they probably will. Uh, and if they don't, then congratulations to the Japanese. But uh, you know, the it, it was funny that there were there was a penalty kick awarded to each team in the semifinals, and only one of them was a good call, and that was the one that was missed. <laughs> that's,
2: that's such a good call. True. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the England Japan ones. I you get the sense. I mean, of that. they even they
0: evened out, but they were they were both horrendous calls.
2: Yeah, you got the, the second one. It was almost like a makeup call, I thought. Uh, but yeah, that's that is. Quite ironic. And that's the only penalty that Germany's ever missed uh, in Women's World Cup play ever. Um, it's crazy, actually. But well, here's
3: what I would say about the, the England penalty because I think there was contact on she stepped on the heel, but then just yes. horrible embellishment. I would love to see penalty and yellow card for diving. Interesting. I,
0: okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that. I, I mean, I saw that, you know, you saw the, the step on the back of the foot, but, but that the defender gained no advantage from that. That's not why the player went down. Um, yes. The player went down because she decided it'd be fun to go down in the penalty area. So, uh, you know, I I, I, I can see a tiny bit of gray area, I guess. I'll admit that. But I still think it was a poor call. And, yeah, just incredible that, uh, you know, Germany lacked the luck. And, and um, you know, the, the U.S., you know, the the U.S. Uh, played better and deserved to win. And, and you know, England will, will feel that they played better than Japan and, and was hard done by. I mean, at this level, in these kinds of tournaments – um, very, very small things separate teams, and, and that's why I think it's, I think, I think oftentimes countries rush in to sort of make World Cups a referendum on where they stand as a country or how the sport is progressing in their country, and I think it's tough to 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 reason that way and tough to think that way when you realize how tiny uh, the margins are uh, at this level and sort of sometimes the bounces or flukes or refereeing decisions that decide games.
1: You know, there there is precedent in another sport that's, fairly close to my heart since i'm from alaska for for what grant's talking about in hockey at times you will see um players get it's one player gets a penalty for for whatever infraction and then the other player gets a also gets a two-minute penalty for embellishment so i mean it's not unheard of it would be it would be interesting to say the least i mean how many times would uh, would players uh, you know in 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 situations where they're in the penalty area and they want to make sure that the referee sees that they were fouled, you know, I mean, it, a lot of them would probably say, hey, it's worth it to me to pick up a yellow card if I'm going to win a penalty. It's not exactly an even punishment, but um, it, it would be, I think, interesting to see. Would you have would you have called the penalty on that? I mean, didn't this step kind of seem inadvertent and, and not a play where the,
0: the, uh, the Japanese player gained an advantage?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was... You know, inadvertent or not, sometimes, you know, you, you commit a foul simply by, by, by being, by standing in the same place and being where you are, you know, it's not.
0: Or by not having control over your own.
1: Exactly. And, you know, in it, like you say, it was probably inadvertent and it was kind of, it was one of those where it was very minimal. But again, it's like the, the penalty that, that Arian Robin won in the World Cup against Mexico. You know, as much as the Mexican fans will, will complain and, and, and will say that wasn't a penalty. I mean, it was, there was contact. He went down uh, you know this the the reasons uh you look at the other penalties that were called and and some of them really do show why the players will never entirely leave it to the referee to to make those kinds of decisions you know the players will always try to uh to do what they can to make sure that the the referee sees it their way, and a lot of it is just because of the human element uh, they're gonna make mistakes either way, so um you know. Again, diving is seen as as something that's in other cultures that's clever. It's part of the game, is not seen as as this big evil um, scourge on the game. And and I don't know. I can I can see it both ways, really. And I I don't think diving is this big as big of a deal as everybody makes it out to be. Just because it, it like you say it does tend to even out. But uh, but England yeah, but England is England is one of those
0: countries where it is seen as a scourge.
1: Yeah, it is, and that's and that is it's it's an interesting point. And maybe you know maybe cultural diffusion maybe it's getting uh getting to be seen more as clutter play in other parts of the world as well all right let's let's bring it
2: back to to the u.s a little bit grant i uh, the u.s obviously played its best game against germany do you think it took an opponent like germany to to bring it out of them it looked like getting hit in the mouth the first 10 minutes of that game uh really really kind of woke up the u.s and never you know the last 80 they looked like world beaters they looked like world champions
3: yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating to me the progression that the U.S. has had in this tournament, uh, especially on the attacking and the defense has been great the whole time, and not just the back line, but you know the whole team actually has defended well. Um, and in starting with the China game, they started to use the defense to to set up the transition into the into the attack uh, much better. Uh, and for a while, I thought it was just because China wasn't very good, but actually uh... It, it did carry over to the germany game and i i do think you know stuff happens in tournaments you know uh... lauren holiday gets this yellow card suspension if that doesn't happen i don't think we see morgan Bryan in this central midfield role uh... the last couple of games and she's clearly won over jill ellis uh... and you know you weren't sure that that was going to necessarily carry over from the china game to the germany game but it did she played well against germany and uh, she is basically allowing Lauren Holiday and especially Carly Lloyd to have a much bigger impact on the game. Uh, and you know, Carly Lloyd has been immense now the last couple of games, but particularly against Germany. And she wouldn't be in that position if Morgan Bryan hadn't come in and, and done what she's done. So uh, I think it's worthwhile to point out that Morgan Bryan and Julie Johnston are two of the best U.S. players in this tournament. And they're the two youngest players on the team as well. And and I think you need to have a mix of of veterans and young players. But this goes to show you, uh, it's the old Bruce Arena term, the World Cup is a young man's game. It's also a young woman's game. Uh, and I think we're seeing that here.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and you look at a lot of the players on this U.S. team who are going to be transitioning out of the national team, whether it's before the next Olympics, before the next World Cup uh and it's it's vital that there are players like Brian like Johnston that are there to kind of be that transition uh and and be that foundation going forward um and like like you said uh, you know we're seeing them blossom before our eyes you've pointed it out you know multiple times Julie Johnston was 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 an afterthought during World Cup qualifying she wasn't even on the roster and and now here she is uh, you know, in contention along with Becky Sauerbrunn, I would I would say as well, definitely for tournament best eleven, but also you know when you when you think of Golden Ball, uh, you know if the USA pulls off a sixth straight clean sheet uh, with Hope Solo really not having to do much, you start to look at at the U.S. center backs, um, maybe Johnston's penalty, uh, the penalty called on her, you know gives gives Sauerbrunn a little a little nudge in in that race, but. I think you're you're looking at a, a very realistic scenario where a U.S. defender could could end up taking that award.
1: So well, that when play? the uh, when the U.S. won the under-20 World Cup, Johnston won the bronze ball, and as a defender, even that's impressive. So just there's is Ellis, again, there's, uh,
0: does Alice put out the same eleven, or does she uh, maybe give back a start? What do you think happens?
3: My sense is that we'll see a similar. 11 to the one we saw against Germany. I, I kind of wonder if maybe Kelly O'Hara in place of Tobin Heath might work as uh, an option. But, you know, I, I do think Heath clearly has the trust of, of Jill Ellis. She started several games in a row now. Um, so she may just put out the exact same 11. I, I, I think it would be very surprising to me to see Abby Wombach start the final after the way the U.S. has played in the last two games without her in the starting lineup and with. With Wambach saying all the right things about accepting her role on the team, if that means she's not a starter,
0: she played a played a key role in that uh, that second goal, though.
3: Yeah, she did. I mean, it, but I mean that's that's a good thing. And, and not
0: advocating she should start. I just find I just find the the, the push and pull on this interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'd love to know exactly what was going on behind the scenes. You know, when when Ellis was deciding not to start Wambach against Germany, but. Um, You know, I I do think it worked. Uh, Jill Ellis deserves a ton of credit for sort of rolling the dice and starting three central midfielders for the first time in the entire tournament against Germany. Uh, No pushover Uh, in one of the rare games the U.S. will not be favored in. And so, um, you know, I I, I just see her probably doing something similar in this game, and and this role for Wombat coming off the bench seems like a good
2: one. Yeah, I agree with that, and and look, it's not like Tobin Heath had a bad game against Germany. That ball she, that through ball she played to Alex Morgan uh, for one of the first chances that the U.S. had um, was was precise, it was great, um, and I, I think having players like Wambach and and O'Hara, especially off the bench, they're almost more effective later in the game on the hot turf when... When the the opposition is is kind of wearing down and you've got these fresh legs, you, you know the the play that Kelly O'Hara made to to score that goal that iced the game. Maybe it doesn't happen if she's already had 83 minutes under her belt, you know. So it's just one of those things to think about. But yes, Jill Ellis 100% deserves a lot of credit. I love how she took a little bit of a dig at the media in her post game press conference, uh, saying something along the lines of of you know we we try to ignore what you guys say during during the tournament. Uh, she's come under a ton of criticism. Michelle Akers is, has probably been the most notable, most vocal person doing that. Um, but in the media as well. Uh, but she, she looked. She got the U.S. in the final. She got them ninety, maybe one hundred twenty minutes away from the first women's World Cup title this country has had in sixteen years. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. Yeah, uh, you know
3: what I find funny is I, I think back to the the press conference immediately after France won the ninety eight World Cup final. And this is my first tournament I'd ever covered. And you, I go in there, and there was so much negativity from the French media toward the French coach, I'm uh, Jacquet. Uh, before that tournament, even L'Equipe had written that he shouldn't be the coach that the entire press conference was Jacquet ripping the French media and he had just won the World (laughs) Cup. This is like the pinnacle of his career. And I remember going in there and thinking to myself, what is going on here? (laughs) And it was just a window into the domestic politics that happens sometimes in – uh, in soccer teams and, and the coverage of those teams, I, I, I would be a little amused if Jill Ellis just did a, a jacquet if, if the U.S. wins uh, in the press about
0: think about how different it is here between the men and the women. I mean, the men were were outplayed in seven of eight halves in in, in Brazil. <laughs> and Klinsman you know, they could have thrown a ticker tape parade for Klinsman when he got back after they won one of four games. Um, and and Jill Ellis, all Jill Ellis does is win. You know, her team doesn't even give up goals. And and yeah, she's she's hammered every day. <laughs> So uh, it's fascinating that we're the same country and we treat our two teams so differently. Yeah. The one
1: thing that I I do want to add to that is to say that you know the U.S. seems to be uh, making it happen now in the later stages of this tournament. The 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 trend that we've seen with how other countries are starting to catch up. I mean this this may be the U.S.'s best chance to win that third World Cup in who knows how long. It's uh, by four years from now. um, You know the. Even federations like Spain, if they start supporting the national, the women's program a little bit more, the gap is closing really fast. So I mean, this could be this could be that last chance for for a, a big party like that in people a keep while.
0: Saying, people keep saying the gap is closing, yet the U.S. women's winning percentage keeps going up. So <laughs> someone help me figure that how that's happening.
1: <laughs> well, if, if, I mean, looking at the way that the U.S. has played leading up to, I mean, you know, even. Not including the China or Germany games, in the China game, they just clearly outplayed an opponent who didn't have the the same tools that the others that they had played. but I mean looking at the group stage, it was it was looking very shaky there for a while, so I, I would be you when, know when the
0: u.s. women when the u.S women start getting beat maybe like three times a year, <laughs> we could start talking about the gap closing. The three gap,
1: losses a year. We could have this conversation. Closing. I mean it's, it's verifiable that the gap is closing already, so I, I don't know. I'm going to split the difference here, and I'm, I'm just going to say
3: that I, I think the U.S. is going to be competitive in future Women's World Cups. I think they're going to be— Bold. Uh, <laughs> bold. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I think they have a good chance of winning the Olympics next year. I, I am fascinated by what will happen, what would happen if the U.S. wins this tournament, and which players would decide to retire um, after this World Cup. Uh, you, know, you hear all sorts of stuff here, like the fact that—or the possibility that Lauren Holiday— even even despite her not being that old, could retire uh, after this tournament if the U.S. wins. Um, you know, and you wonder about, obviously, some of the older players like Rampone and Box, but, you know, Wambach, um, would they want to go out on a win, or do they, would they want to stick around for the Olympics next year? And, and you know, that, to me, will be a story to watch. Oh, sure.
1: interestingly, you know, the, the part of the team that has looked the best is the defense, and minus Hope Solo, that's the part of the team that has seen the most turnover over the last, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months or so. Um, you know, pretty much a completely different back line than, than was at the last world cup. So it's, uh, you know, that, that is something to be said that the, the part of the team that has looked the best is the team that ha- the part that has been, uh, you know, if you want to put it this way in the most sort of, uh, uncertain situation since the last world cup. So there is that. There is that,
2: uh, let's, let's close with this on the U S women and then we'll move on. Uh, we put four players on, on the SI cover before uh, this tournament started. Carly Lloyd, Abby Wambach, Alex Morgan, and Sidney LaRue. If I told you that Carly Lloyd was going to be outscoring the other three combined, do you think the U.S. would be in this position? The fact that like the forwards have really not done much, Grant, in terms of scoring goals, yet here they are? It's kind of speaking bizarre. Of,
0: speaking of France 98.
2: It, it's very surprising,
3: I think, that Carly Lloyd has become this – I I guess she's outscoring the U.S. front line as much as she is. I mean, Carly Lloyd scored some big goals over the years, scored the winning goal in the Olympic final in in 2008 and in 2012. Um, But the fact that she would become basically a a second forward against Germany, you know, that's not something I would have predicted. She's played a lot of different positions in this tournament, including in that one game alone. Uh, And her confidence is off the charts right now. And this is another area where... You you credit Jill Ellis for giving her tactically the the freedom to do this type of thing. Uh you know, Carly Lloyd has been playing basically as a defensive midfielder uh for a little while here until the last couple of games, and now she's not, and she's you know, just been this uh unleashed animal on the field uh the last couple of games. And so you know, give some credit to Jill Ellis for recognizing that. Give a ton of credit to Carly Lloyd for having the confidence to go out and do this. I think she's the hardest worker on this team, um, and and that's, to me, very impressive. You know, even uh, when the U.S. team would be on vacation and you'd see players posting Instagram pictures from, you know, their trips to you know, Cabo San Lucas or whatever, uh, you know, Carly Lloyd would be posting pictures of training in New Jersey by herself, you know, and, and. I don't think she was faking it. So I mean like it's it's something that uh, she's a player who maybe has been a little under recognized over the years and she's getting
1: you know, getting the full attention now that she deserves. Yeah. Again, I don't think that she has this kind of success without Morgan Bryan being put in that role just behind her. I, I think that really that really uh, kind of unleashed her, as you say. I think that was a really and again, credit to Jill Ellis, that was a really important move for this team.
2: Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, you know, she's she in a lot of ways is, is a barometer on this team, right? She struggled in the group stage. The USA didn't really look all that great. Changes were made. She plays a lot better, and all of a sudden the U.S. is playing its best soccer, entering Sunday's final against Japan at 7 o'clock Eastern on Big Fox. Uh, will be a phenomenal game. And it also, them playing in the final avoids just probably the most depressing July 4th ever, having to play in the third-place game. Uh, of the women's world cup if you're the usa so uh kudos to them for all they've been able to do and we'll see what happens on sunday uh let's let's close now a little bit uh grant brian you guys worked on this mls year one oral history if you look at the latest issue of sports illustrated uh it's our where are they now issue um a lot of Looking back at, at some past figures in in sports and now, you know, years later, what uh, what they're up to, uh, you guys interviewed dozens of, uh, of executives, players, uh, just a lot of people involved with MLS in its first year, obviously MLS now in its 20th year. Progress has, has been insane. Uh, out of a lot of those interviews came just some hilarious stories. I know we've talked about them. If you read in the issue, uh, you can see them on paper and then actually we will be running a, a more full-length issue uh, on SI.com, on Planet Football, in a few weeks. Uh, Brian, I guess, was there an interview that, that you did that stood out above the rest, One of the, maybe one of the stories that, that made you laugh the hardest?
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of them stand out. I mean, this was so much fun, and I'm sure Grant would, would say the same thing, just reminiscing with – I mean, I got to re- talk to – you know Miola and Harks and 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 Ralston and Armus and and all kinds of guys with with all kinds of funny stories. Um, but uh, you know, listening to Kevin Payne talk about how many times he saved the league. Uh, you know, Miola wanted to steal a shootout clock. Uh, you know, John Harks told me some story about something called a gay rodeo at some kind of hotel. They, I mean, it was th- this was amazing stuff. But the interview that I thought was the most fun was with Andrew Shu, um, who it was a pretty famous guy back in the day, but in terms of soccer circles, just kind of fell off the face of the earth, uh, you know, played for the LA galaxy for a couple seasons and, and, you know, just, you know, injuries and, and obviously, you know, had other things going on in his life and the league was, was improving. And, and, uh, you know, he moved on from soccer and he was really tough to track down. And, and it turns out that uh former, you know, Mr. Melrose place, LA galaxy guy is running like a mom blog out of New York city. <laughs> Um, and I, don't, and I think his office is, I think he said their office is not far from MLS headquarters. And so he'll occasionally, you know, see, you know, Todd Durbin on the sidewalk or something like that. Um, but, uh, he was awesome. I mean, he, and, 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 and he was super nice and, and absolutely thrilled to talk about his, his cup of coffee and MLS. And, and he remembered like, like specific granular details about plays. And if you had only played like. Five or 10 pro games in your life, you'd be the same way, you know? And, you know, the time he chested down a ball and helped Dante Razov score a goal, or the time he, you know, Jorge Campos was put up front and he thought he could have run onto a pass, but Jorge called for it. And he's like, all right, Jorge, it's yours, you know? And, (laughs) and, um, you know, he never told the people at Melrose Place he was playing because he didn't, because, you know, he didn't better to ask for, you know, forgiveness than permission. And, uh, you know, he'd show up, he'd show up to, to, you know, whatever they do, shooting, he'd show up to shooting with a black eye or something like that. And, and, uh, he, he was awesome. And, 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 and his, he, his, he was so thrilled just to be a part of it. And that's something that echoed with a lot of the people that I talked to just how excited they were, you know, I mean, yeah, the uniforms were silly and yeah, the travel was tough and, and all that kind of stuff. But so many of these guys were just so excited to be part of this. And, and it was cool to hear that from a guy like Andrew shoe. So that was the one that stuck out for me.
2: Grant, what uh, what about you? I know you talked to a ton of guys as as well. What uh, what kind of stood out from your process during this whole thing?
3: You know, there were so many just truly fun interviews, and I think for Brian and me, I mean, like we're we're soccer geeks and we're MLS geeks, and we have you know these memories of of when the league started, but you know, the curiosity also to ask all these questions and. Know, find out things we didn't know about what was happening that year. And, and so many people, just seemed, it seemed like everyone had at least one really funny, good story. Um, and so you know, for me to sit down with Doug Logan, the first commissioner for 90 minutes, he was teaching a course at NYU. And I just went over and, um, and we, we went down memory lane. You have to remember here that I wrote a column that helped get him fired uh... back in like nineteen ninety nine and and <laughs> to doug logan's credit he still speaks to me you know And he told these great stories about how you know like we're talking about uh... the interview that doug logan had to become commissioner of the league and how he was telling me how lamar hunt fell asleep multiple times uh... during the interview because he had just come from a, a chiefs monday night football game in kansas city to dallas uh, and also, just how Doug Logan was saying to them, like, how can you name your league Major League Soccer? The idea of it being a major league and, and saying you're going to compete with Major League Baseball doesn't seem like a smart thing to do from the from the start. Uh, but there were a lot of people that were were fun to talk to. Uh, you know, Bruce Arena is always a, a tremendous interview, and so to talk to him about the first season, his team was involved in the first game, which he called one of the worst games ever played, uh, <laughs> and and just. Hear him talk about how um, you know his response to some of the things that le- the league was considering not long before the start of that season, including uh, not really calling offside uh, and um, you know the idea of bigger goals and, and things like that that almost happened. Um, you know, and just you know, like all the different wacky things, I, I had a feeling that this would feel a little bit like the book Loose Balls about the the ABA. Uh, the Terry Pluto road, and there was a lot of that involved. Anytime you start a league uh, in any sport and you're kind of going by the seat of your pants, there's going to be some great stories coming out of that, and, uh, and that was the case here.
0: Phil Anschutz bought in only because he was able to get Marcelo Balboa. <laughs> Ivan think told me this, uh, that when they were go- talking with Anschutz, Anschutz like, I want the guy who did the bicycle kick at the World Cup. He didn't even, <laughs> he didn't even like, know his name. I want that guy. And Balboa was in Mexico and doing really well, and so Gazetas and Sunil and all these guys are like, damn, like we gotta, we gotta get Balboa or else Anchets isn't aboard. And so you know Balboa and I guess his father was his agent or whatever. And anyway, they were able to get him back, and Balboa went to Colorado, and of course, a few years later, Anschutz owned half the league. So like, that's how close this thing came to not happening. Was was not being able was was you know, not being able to guy who did the bicycle kick out of Mexico. So yeah, stuff like
2: that's absolutely priceless and amazing. So cool. So funny. Uh Jorge Campos coming out to a stadium, seeing it was full and then demanding a Ferrari uh, <laughs> the, or, or else he's out. Uh, and also in print, we have Sunil Gulati saying, thank God for Eric Winalda. And that alone is worth, Worth <laughs> the price of admission because Ronaldo, of course, scored the goal in that first game. I think everyone was dreading a zero-zero tie, uh, you know, which which to the casual sports fan is is just a uh, great and another you know awful awful soccer game. Whatever. Uh, so many good stories in this thing. The the magazine version is great. The web version, of course, will be longer. Uh, I definitely implore you all to to pick up a copy and, and check out the site and, uh, and and read it all. Cause there's just some phenomenal content and there a little hat tip to, to Alex Abnos as well for, for cobbling everything together. And, uh, and he put out this tweet of, of his favorite quote, and, and we can close on this, uh, Kevin Payne talking about, you know, when the original branding was, was going on, um, in this, you know, the, the first, you know, the launch of, of the league and everything and how the Tampa Bay mutiny ended up with this mutant logo and, and the brand organizers were, were like, Yeah, you know, mutiny, mutant, and and he's just like, Well, what do you those those are two entirely different things. They just share some of the same letters. And it's just like that that's how things were being decided. And that's how the Tampa Bay mutiny ended up with this cyber mutant bat as a as a logo. And O'Brien, you wrote about the original branding before the season started as as part of our tip to the twentieth anniversary of the league. Uh, just oh my god, if if you Kevin, have Kevin
0: was ahead of his time, and here we are 20 years later, and every team is called United, so <laughs> Kevin was on to something,
2: he uh, yeah, he definitely was. Uh, anyway, if you've if you have just had any ounce of interest in this league, you'll you'll want to read about this. Uh, so anyway, we will we will leave it at that. Uh, thank you guys for all joining, great conversation. As always, Women's World Cup final again on Sunday. Uh, you can be sure that we'll be talking about that. And the Gold Cup, uh, the men's national team, kicks off next week. Uh, Mexico looking like without Chicharito. A lot of good storylines. We'll touch on that next week. Uh, so for Grant Wall, Brian Strauss, Leave You Bird, I am Avi Creditor. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.